Welcome to the Holistic Health Podcast, beautiful humans. If a professional, polished, well-edited podcast is what you're after, then move right on. If, however, you love unfiltered banter, unedited bloopers, authentic heart sharing, and a very generous dash of holistic health education, then you're in the right place. Let's dive in, shall we? Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of the Holistic Health Podcast. Amy, good morning. How are you feeling today? Yeah, you know, today is a day I'm a little bit more sluggish. So if I sound a little bit off, I'm I'm struggling a little bit today, but otherwise very happy to be here. It's my favorite time of the week. So <laughs> I love that. I'm going to pretend that's all about me. Yeah. <laughs> and yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, well, that's okay. We love you sluggish or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and today's topic is really exciting because something we're both very passionate about and we're going to actually jump right in because as per usual, everyone, we have far too much to tell you in far too little time. Hmm. So one thing we wanted to start the conversation with around tracking your cycle Hmm. is that we both have noticed in clinic um, and also just amongst friends and, and family that a lot of the time we have this misconception that tracking your cycle and um, using apps and calendar predictions is accurate. So what I mean by that is a lot of us have some kind of period tracking app, right? And in that period tracking app, we often get information where it says, oh yeah, like you're in your fertile window or you're ovulating. But what I think a lot of people don't realize is that that is not a guarantee. That is based on app predictions and it's not, it's certainly not a reliable way to avoid pregnancy if that's how you're, you know, if that's the method you're using to as contraception, i.e. tracking your cycle is the method you're using. And it's also not a super reliable way to, um, you know, use it from a fertility perspective in trying to conceive. So what we're aiming to teach you today is starting to highlight some of the reliable ways that you can get information from your body to tell you where you're at in your cycle. And then you can enter that information into the app as a way of storing it, but not as a way of it telling you, you are telling it, if that makes sense. Do you uh, do you agree? Do you have anything to add to that app conversation? Yes. Just that this is one of the things that really rips my undies. <laughs> Besides Lily. <laughs> Besides Lily, um, she just clambered up onto my desk and into my lap just then, everybody. So she wanted to join in the conversation. Um, and, yeah, look, it is really frustrating as someone who's trained in the symptothermal method, who does natural fertility and natural contraception stuff, um, just almost, almost without fail when I start working with someone who's using an app they'll say, oh, yes, I ovulate on such and such a date. Let me just t- let me just check what the app said. Mm. And it's just an arbitrary algorithm that's making an awful lot of assumptions about your body and it's not an accurate way, as you said, to um, track your cycle, um, prevent conception or promote conception. Um and the, I guess the useful thing about it is obviously you can track your, when you have a period. So when your clinician says, what was the date of your last period, you've got something to say, but it's really a data retrieval point rather than 
a source of accurate information about your cycle if all you're doing is typing in the days that you're bleeding and then repeat the following month. So tracking your cycle can be as simple as that. And if that's all you want is some history to reflect back on at some point, that's great. That's still really useful information to have. Um, But if you're interested in gleaning more insights from your cycle and actually understanding, you know, the health status of your hormones at this time and also watching when things go out, there are other indicators you should be recording and looking out for that you can either put in that app or get a better app. Um, But just know that it's it's really a repository for data. No algorithm can predict anything because they are not in your physiological, you know, state Mm. and therefore actually doesn't know what's going on in your body. Yes, I love that. Well, on that note, let's dive into some of the ways or some of the tools or strategies we can use to get information about where we're at in our cycle. So there's a number that we're going to talk you through, and I think we'll start with cervical mucus. So we're going to explain what each one is and and kind of what to look out for, and then we will help you pull it all together towards the end. So Mm -hmm. cervical mucus is basically any discharge, um, which is normal FYI. It's very normal to have some discharge as long as it's not you know, you'll know, you'll often know if something's up, but for this conversation, we're just talking about normal cervical discharge coming from the vaginal entrance. And it can be broken down often when we're talking about, you know, cycle tracking into what we call non-peak and peak type mucus. Mm. So both are considered to be fertile types of mucus and you can get pregnant um, with either you know, peak or non-peak type cervical mucus, but the peak type cervical mucus is considered more fertile. Mm. So I'll talk you through exactly what does peak type mucus look like and what does non-peak type um, fertile mucus look like in a moment. But to start with, in terms of how to actually check this, there's a few different options. So One is that you can simply feel like the sensation. So maybe when you're walking, um, I find that probably like the least reliable because I think people have the least confidence in that. And I would say the other ones is more looking at it, what it looks like on the toilet paper when you wipe. Um, You can insert your fingers and clean fingers into the vaginal entrance and um, look at what what it is on your fingers and pull your fingers apart and, you know, tell whether it's stretchy or not. Um, And then you can also um, just check your your underwear and and see what it's looking like there. I often encourage people to do a number of different things to confirm what they're seeing. Mm. And when it comes to identifying the peak type mucus, what you're looking for is if it's slippery Mm. um, and some this like this, it comes up a lot for me in, in clinic. I think some people assume that the only type of peak type mucus is if it looks exactly like egg white consistency. And while that is an example of what peak type fertile mucus looks like, um, it doesn't happen for everyone. So it's all relative. So what we're looking for is an increase in the kind of like um, hydration, like the wateriness and the stretchiness um, of your mucus. Um, so that's one thing. And then the other thing that you can do if you're really unsure, if you are you have you got enough that you can put it on your fingers you can actually stretch your like put it between your um your thumb and your index finger and try and stretch it out 
Um, and if it's kind of over about an inch, that's a pretty good indication that it is uh, peak type for fertile mucus versus if it's not, it will snap quite quickly before your fingers come, you know, an inch apart. Um, and the other indication of peak type mucus is if it looks really clear because as it as estrogen levels rise, which tell us we're getting closer to ovulation, so too does the water content of the mucus. And that's why it tends to be more clear and more wet and moist. We knew that the word moist was going to come into this conversation, didn't we, friends? Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then non-peak mucus is pretty much anything that doesn't meet the kind of three things that I went through above, which is slippery, stretchy, or clear. So if it's not slippery, stretchy, or clear, but you still have mucus there, then that would be something that's non-peak mucus. So examples of that, it might be sticky, it might be whitish, opaque, it might be cloudy, it might be pasty, crumbly, thick, gummy, um, snappy, not angry at you, just snapping (laughs) off. (laughs) Yeah, my my mucus is angry today. Um, If anyone has that problem, you've probably got something else going on. Um, And then, yeah, those are kind of the, the two types so that's a lot on mucus Mm. amy do you want to move into the next category of just talking about body temperature because i think this one is a a really a good one to talk about actually one more thing before we move on mucus is telling you is your body showing signs that it's moving towards an ovulation attempt it mm-hmm. does not tell you that you have ovulated. And that is something really important to remember because sometimes in clinic people will say, oh, well, I noticed like I had mucus, so I must have ovulated. Not true. It's mm-hmm. mucus is a is a sign that there's an increase in estrogen and, and increases in estrogen are part of the process by which your body is going to attempt ovulation, mm-hmm. but it is not the way that we guarantee that you have ovulated enter body temperature tracking. Oh my God. Can we just have a moment to recognize the amount of adjectives you were able to put in there to describe (laughs) mucus? I'm actually gobsmacked. I'm so impressed. I'm so impressed. Um, We're going into all of the nitty gritty details here today. And speaking of details, I also just want to point out when you're, if you're going to insert your fingers to check your mucus, because maybe it hasn't appeared on your underwear or there's not much to see on the tissue, you're only going in a centimeter or two. A lot of people think when you hear the term cervical mucus, you've just got to go digging for China, okay? (laughs) Get all up in there. Um, And you definitely do not. In fact, um, that would actually be in an accurate way of assessing mucus just because of the way um, the canal tents and changes. It's what's coming through at the lower end that you want to check. So there is no need for an exploratory session. (laughs) You don't need an excavator. (laughs) I know. Put away the headlight the torchlight <laughs> the, the tramping shoes it's just oh, the, yes. the cave not all the way back in the mountain okay yep. so all right so now basal body temperature <laughs> I, think I think I'm officially about to lose it okay temperature guys all right so we this is just like one of the most fascinating and cool things and and tools that I'm just madly in love with um, as a human being is being able to track the temperature to tell what's going on in my body. So 
it's not just any temperature first and foremost, it's your basal temperature. So basal body temperature is basically the lowest temperature in your 24-hour daily cycle. And that's usually first thing in the morning when you wake up. So traditional methods, so before I guess the emergence of femtech, what you would have done to check your basal temperature, and I did back in my day when I was a young lady, I had actually had a mercury thermometer on my bedside table, and this is before smartphones, so I also temperature tracked on a piece of paper, which you can still do. In fact, you know, anything from downloading a free chart off the internet to do it to buying a really beautiful tracking journal. Um, I've seen some gorgeous ones around. It's quite a lovely organic way to journal and connect with your cycle, especially if you're trying to shift some things or tune in. But I'm all about efficiency and convenience. So I do use an app and now a electronic thermometer. But what I will say is basal temperature can be influenced quite heavily by all kinds of things, including, you know, if you've had alcohol the night before or you've had a bad night's sleep. And of course, it can be, you know, affected by fever, infection, stress, other things as well. Not to mention if you're breastfeeding, things get a little bit more wobbly. But first and foremost, the basal temperature can give you information about your metabolism. A depressed basal temperature can suggest thyroid issues. But ultimately, when you're testing it and recording it, you should see two distinct phases in your cycle. The first half, the follicular phase, where the body is producing um, more and more effort or pulses of FSH to, to actually develop the follicle. And then the developing follicle starts to produce more and more estrogen and, and the egg begins to mature. Then we see an elevation of temperature, um, usually by more than half a degree, which would indicate ovulation and healthy progesterone production. And then the second half of the cycle should remain elevated um, under the influence of progesterone, which turns you into a little incubator in case you're pregnant, um, which would then allow us to obviously see when you ovulated, but also um, track really how good your progesterone production is. And then in the event the body recognizes that the egg is not fertilized, you will see the temperature drop off. And when it hits the cover line, which is, you know, uh, a way of tracking your temperature and working out like what your sort of middle is, you know, you're going to get your period that day or the next. So I love that it's a, it's direct feedback from your body as far as um, what's happening in your cycle. It'll help you actually distinguish between the two phases, even if you're not looking at any other um, points of interest, although it's always best to use multiple points of interest to confirm or rule out, you know, what phase you're in. It also allows you to reliably predict when your period's going to arrive. So you're not going to be surprised the next day when it pops up. And of course, any shifts in your pattern would then allow you to, you know, investigate further as to what might've happened. Now, one of the challenges with this is with basal temperature, you have to do it the moment you wake up. So before you do anything else, so you roll over, get the thermometer, whichever one you're using, it needs to um, be down. It needs to express the temperature um, with two decimal points, by the way. So it, it needs to be quite a specific type of thermometer, not like a regular one. Um, but the issue is if you've woken up and gone back to sleep, 
and then woken up again, or let's say you woke up and went to the toilet and then came back and did it, or maybe you had some frisky time under the covers (laughs) before checking it, like that can actually really affect the data you're collecting and the information that you're trying to garner from it. Um, And for me, you know, there was a period of time where I woke up a fair bit in the night just with dealing with anxiety and, and other challenges in life, which happens to all of us at some stage. And so I've since shifted to using a wearable temperature uh, monitor or thermometer called TempDrop. And we will put the link in the show notes for you to check it out. I love it for two reasons. Number one, I can wear it. I don't have to think about it when I wake up and and taking temperature. It's hassle-free. It records, I think, up to three days worth of temperatures um, before it gets full and you have to sync it with your phone. And although you sync it with your phone via Bluetooth, it does not emit radio frequencies or wireless radiation while you are wearing it, um, which is absolutely crucial because, of course, that is harmful for health. Um, So I really like that for its convenience, ease of use. It um, also begins to learn your body. You can even track your sleep and wake cycles during the night with it, which is interesting. It's not especially accurate. Um, I wouldn't use it in place of a sleep study, but it does give you some more insights into your natural rhythms and what's going on. Um, And yeah, particularly the non-radio frequency emitting element of it, I think is crucial because there's a couple of other ones on the market um, that are emitting wireless radiation while you wear it, which is actually counterproductive, bad for your health, bad for your fertility, bad for your hormones, um, bad for your immune system. So I do not recommend those. One in particular is worn intravaginally up against the cervix. And I just think, you know, they're EMFs right next to your ovaries. Baby Jesus. It's absolutely crazy. So yeah. So with basal temperature, like I said, you can tell so much about what's going on in your body. You can um, see whether or not you ovulated based on temperature. Um, You can also see how well your progesterone is elevating your temperature in that second half. And by being able to, assuming you're ovulating, if you're not, this is obviously not relevant, but if you are ovulating, you can then actually see what length your follicular phase is, what length your luteal phase is. And this can tell you so much about your hormonal balance and where you need to start focusing. So even though you and I do bloods all the time or maybe salivary hormone profiles, sometimes um, urinary metabolites to, to glean certain information, just temperature tracking, which is free once you've got your thermometer and your tracking site, you know, app or paper sorted mm. is just, it gives you so much insight into what's going on. Yeah, it does. And and that temp drop is quite comfortable. Like I was worried when I got mine, I was like, oh, because mm-hmm. I'm like the token person who hates stuff on me when I sleep. Like mm-hmm. even through winter, I just sleep in underwear. I can't deal with anything on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, oh, am I going to hate this being on my arm? But it's actually fine and mm-hmm. um, super comfortable and you don't you don't notice it really mm. once you once you've fallen asleep. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think what I wanted to also emphasize in this is that uh, temperature tracking is a way to confirm when or if ovulation has happened. And so you might notice that that's a bit different to the mucus stuff, which is telling us that our body is going to attempt ovulation mm. after you do ovulate. 
um, your mucus will dry up. So you won't actually notice any mucus. So it can still be used as a way in conjunction with temperature tracking to help confirm that ovulation has happened. But we never want to use like one by itself if we're trying to get really solid information. So using the cervical mucus stuff and the basal body temperature together is a really great way. And there are certainly other things that you can bring into it. But I love what you said there about the temperature tracking, particularly after you do it for a few cycles, how much information it can actually give you, which is free from a hormonal perspective. But I do think you know, I tell most people to give it a good three cycles worth of tracking just to A, like get into the swing of things, understand it, um, see patterns, because that's what we're really after when we're assessing hormones is what patterns are here, not what happens as a one-off because, you know, that that can just throw us down the wrong track if we're relying on only individual data and not trends. Mm. So the next part we wanted to speak to, which, um, you know, isn't, isn't as commonly used. I think mucus and temperature are probably the two most commonly used ways to track your cycle or get information, but you can also assess the position of your cervix. Mm-hmm. Um, and what tends to happen as you get closer to ovulation, the cervix will um, become higher up and it will also soften. So you're really only going to get to know this if you feel, if you try and actually get a sense of what your cervix feels like across your cycle for a number of cycles, because it again, it's going to be relative to you. Someone might just describe it to you, but like we all have a different perception of what something feels like. And so that's where I would encourage people to just start doing that. And you can like all you need to do is basically same thing, insert your fingers and you into into your vagina like you would a tampon and you're just feeling for your cervix and it would probably be helpful if you actually look up a diagram or um, something like that beforehand. It's a little bit hard to just describe in words. I think maybe it's just because I'm a visual person, but if you look it up, you'll be able to see what you're actually looking for um, and you will feel it because you can't go much further pretty much um, and it it will feel soft but the in, when it's in the lead up to ovulation and it will feel like it's higher and hi, like higher up to reach and then um, in the opposite to that when you are um, you know away from ovulation or more at the beginning of your cycle it will feel like it's lower down and it will feel harder it won't feel hard so it's not like it goes from feeling like knocking on a table to knocking on like a I don't know a bruised yeah okay <laughs> good one you stopped me from saying something not great there um a marshmallow it's more going to be a relative hardness mm. um actually I'll say a little bit more on that if that's okay yeah please do um so if you've ever read an instruction booklet on inserting a tampon, you'll know that the vagina actually diagonally heads towards your back. So it's not a straight up and down thing. It's sort of an up and back thing. So get the angle right. I'm sure if you're sexually active, you already know where your mm. bits are and where they go. Um, and, and with the with the texture of the feeling of it, um, the hardness is like in the early, like I guess outside of the fertile window is like the tip of your nose. It's kind of 
a bit rubbery, a bit like calamari. Um, so obviously it's not- <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely no one is going out to eat seafood this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. You'll never look at a little squid ring again. Oh the God, same- I had a calamari taco on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> love that for you (laughs) now you know now you're very intimately acquainted with the texture so yeah just if you feel the sort of the tip of your nose it's a bit like that obviously it's not hard like you said a wooden table but it's firm it's firm and it's got um some density to it whereas around your fertile window it's softer like your lips it's more Mm. squishy and more more fluid and you know, even without inserting your fingers, you might also um, through penetrative sex be able to register where it is. Mm. So depending on your own anatomical structures and also your partner's, um, sometimes certain positions are not that comfortable outside of the fertile window because the depth of the canal isn't long enough. Mm. Um, and, And, you know, the, the cervix some women like it most women don't having their cervix um pounded yep. <laughs> I don't think I'm a different way of saying it but you, you said it you said I, did, it. I went there yeah 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 I am we not, all know what it means <laughs> yeah 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 definitely not a fan um whereas you know around the fertile window because it's softer and it's been drawn up um mm. you you don't have the same sensation and it's a lot more comfortable for certain positions that are a lot deeper so yeah so you might already have a sense for that or if you've ever wondered why you know certain things are more fun at certain times of the month and less enjoyable at others Mm. now you know folks um yeah gosh we've covered a lot of ground today we have we have but okay so let's move on to the next thing that often comes up when we're talking about tracking ovulation tracking cycles etc which is the ovulation predictor kits Mm. so again I think I don't know about you but I think that this is another one where it gets very confusing for people because obviously it says ovulation predictor kit on it so you're like great this is absolutely without fail going to (laughs) predict my ovulation yes but I'm going to start with just a couple of problems with it and then you can move on from that Amy so Mm -hmm. One problem I find with it is that it's it's trying to sense luteinizing hormone or LH and LH surges are your body's attempt at, or I guess it's going to attempt ovulation. It's again, not saying that you have ovulated or that that attempt is absolutely without fail going to be successful. Mm. So that's one problem is that sometimes that can be a little bit misleading the other thing is if you uh, you know, are currently going through a hormonal imbalance like PCOS and you have constantly elevated or at least hot, like higher than normal LH levels, which can happen in some patients with PCOS, mm-hmm. you're going to get false readings. And that can be really disheartening as well as confusing for people. I know that that's happened a lot with some of my PCOS-based patients where they're like, well, it said this and I thought this, but that didn't happen. And so that's just something to keep in mind. So if you are someone with PCOS or elevated LH levels, you know, quite consistently, um, or at least that's a feature of your case, it's probably not the best choice for you. Not Mm -hmm. saying that it's not a helpful tool 
for other people, but it's not something I recommend if that's kind of something you're going through just because it can be very confusing and and inaccurate. Mm. Do you want to just add a little bit more to that conversation around those predictor Mm. kits? Yes. So I think you probably summarised it best when they should really be called ovulation attempter kits because Mm. that's really what it's trying to do. The luteinizing hormone is the thing that's trying to drive the follicle to erupt and allow the egg to pop out. But for many reasons, which, you know, we can't really get into today, sometimes it doesn't work the first time. Sometimes your body might have to take multiple runs at it before it's actually successful or it isn't successful and it tries again the following month and the egg becomes resorbed um, along with the other follicles back into the ovary. So, yeah, certainly from that point of view, um, again, it's like anything. One data point is usually not enough to give you some a meaningful result or runway to, to focus on. But when you start to use it in combination with things, it's helpful. But the other issue is that if you are trying to conceive, I'm assuming that most people who are using these are trying to conceive. Um, although perhaps some people are using, I bloody hope not, but some people might be using this to try and avoid conceiving as like some kind of contraception, uh, you know, predictor. Um, we need to talk if you're doing that. Please don't do that. It's Russian roulette. But um, what I will say about it is LH will surge roughly 24 to 36 hours prior to ovulation. So when you test it, you don't know where in that window you are. Assuming you're testing once a day, you could already be, you know, 20 hours in to the LH surge. Um, and if the egg pops out four hours later and only lasts 12 hours and it takes sperm 18 to, you know, 16 to 18 hours to get to the egg, even if you had sex on the spot, the, the sperm won't make it before the egg arrives. Um, so I think the way they're being used or certainly the way I see in clinic women describing how they're using, using it is that they've been using it to go, oh, I'm about to ovulate or I'm ovulating. Let's have sex today or tonight. And that's the best time, you know, to achieve conception when actually, I don't want to say you've missed the window, but the window is closing by the time you get that reading. And, you know, again, it's a nice, you know, data point to say your body's attempted to ovulate, but you won't know until you see an elevated temperature. And it's really those three to five days before ovulation, you know, based on fertile mucus and cervical position that is giving you the green light to, you know, attempt to conceive um, if that's what you're trying to do. Now, of course, if you are using this to try and avoid falling pregnant, the odds are stacked well against you and you're doing it wrong. (laughs) And maybe we'll talk about that another time. Um, I'd I still find it difficult to believe anyone would be doing that, but nothing surprises me anymore. So this is a message for those who are, let's talk or tune in to another episode when we cover, um, you know, using that method as a form of contraception. Mm. But yeah, it's just, I suppose in some ways, you know what I see with fertility? I know this conversation is not really fertility centered. It's about gleaning information about your cycle for health reasons. And if nothing else, actually learning how to predict when your cycle will arrive, but it's, it's just one of those things that you can use on top of. And if it makes you feel better psychologically to see that LH surge, great. I know with fertility journey, it's fraught with anxiety, worry, doubts, 
concerns, fears, and if this is something that when you see that LH surge makes you feel better about, yes, my body's attempting to ovulate, then by all means use them. But I think they're a kind of a, an added extra when tracking your cycle. And I actually personally in my, in my practice don't recommend them because you don't need them. If you, if you know how to read the other signs and you've got the basal temperature tracking right, it's an unnecessary expense. But if it's one that makes you feel better, then by all means go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Wholeheartedly agree. That's a similar approach to what I take. I don't recommend them, but if someone's like, they make me feel good or more reassured mm-hmm. and there's someone that's a good candidate to be using them, then yeah, that's fine. But yeah, I think it's, yeah, hopefully the takeaways from this are just understanding that, you know, as a bare minimum, tracking cervical mucus throughout your cycle and your basal body temperature mm. is going to be the best ways to ascertain where you are in your cycle and to also gain information from that tracking to tell you what might be going on with your hormones. So we didn't get into the nitty-gritty of, you know, different luteal phase or different luteal phase lengths or um, temperatures, et cetera. I feel like that's very much something to dive into um, with a practitioner or at least in a in a course container where it can be explained to you in more detail because I do think it's not an easy thing to Uh wrap your head around at first. Like once you get it, it's like, oh, okay, like that makes sense. I get it. But at first it can feel very overwhelming. So I really think that if you are someone who's like, all right, I want to get on top of this. I want to understand how to track my cycle more or how to understand there's lots of different options for you. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you can work one-to-one with a practitioner. Both Amy and I can help you. You can um, do my hormone rescue course. We go through it there. You can look at um, other fertility awareness method programs or mm-hmm. check out um, Jessie Brebner from Fertility Charting. She has absolutely phenomenal resources, courses, and is very is the person I learned like so much from too. Mm-hmm. So I think you know, one thing not to be afraid of though is just to start observing. You can't go wrong with just starting to observe. The last thing I thought we would chat about, Amy, is what apps we use or recommend. So Mm -hmm. the two that I have used and use consistently would be Kindara Mm -hmm. um, and also that's what I used to use and still do recommend to to people Mm -hmm. if they're after like a free app. The one I currently use is called Read Your Body, which Mm -hmm. is developed by a bunch of fertility awareness method practitioners, Mm -hmm. um, and it allows you to enter more, I guess, customized data, and and it's Mm -hmm. more geared towards someone who is trying to track their cycle in that way that we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. Do you have any others that you use or recommend? So I used to use Kandara as well because their original... um, thermometer was the um, under the tongue one and um, I would use yeah it was really nice I re- really liked their interface um, temp drop also have their own app as well however read your body is the one I prefer to recommend as well and for a few reasons I do love the additional information you can put in I really loved that about Kindara I know temp drop has sort of upgraded theirs a little bit but there are I think health information and data is very sensitive and we always want to be treating our data 
as securely as possible. And there have been questions raised around many of these apps, especially the free ones, um, where, you know, your data could be obtained from by third parties. Now, you might think, oh, well, who cares if, you know, big brother knows when my period's due. <laughs> Um, and I get, and I get that, but, uh, and it's, it's really a conversation for maybe another day, another episode or some sort of bonus chat, but, um, it is something that I think you, sh- everyone should be very mindful of. So read your body. I'm very comfortable with from a security point of view as well. And temp drop will sync directly to that app also. So you don't have to use the temp drop app, um, in order to sort of get the benefits of doing that. So. That would be my choice too. I love it. Love, love, love it. Okay. Well, any final comments, things to add to this conversation around tracking a cycle before we wrap up? Uh, I just say, you know, I remember when I was a young woman, teenager, with PCOS and, you know, endo symptoms, <laughs> tracking my cycle was really just a function of trying to predict when I'd have a period really mm. for my social life more than anything. And also um, pain management. Cause I used to have to take really strong pain medication to get through those first few days of my actual period. And I had a, I don't know, this is probably quite a strong term, but let's say a disordered relationship with my menstrual cycle. As I think a lot of young women do, it's particularly in, you know, um, Western, the Western world, we don't have cultural practices and initiation rites and celebrations around the power of our bodies and the sacredness of our, you know, femininity and fertility and physiology. And so there's a lot that's wrapped up in in that in terms of shame, disgust, frustration, pain, disassociation, like wanting to divorce yourself of, you know, your period um, and having it be, you know, at best a bit of an inconvenience and at worst just such a life-disrupting event. And, you know, like most teenagers, I went on the pill and then took it continuously for a while so I didn't have to deal with it. Um, And if that's kind of where you're at, you probably didn't listen all the way through this episode actually because you might be interested, but if you're sort of, this is the first time you're contemplating tracking your cycle, probably feels a bit uncomfortable getting this intimate with your body and your cycle and maybe questioning why you would do that. However, what I would say is what it has done for me is it's engendered for me the most profound respect and love for my body and really awe about the design of human physiology. It's fascinating. It's allowed me to attune myself more to my cycle. I know you talk about that a fair bit, Nat, with organizing, you know, work and social life where you can around where you'll be in the cycle to really tap into your superpowers. And there's no one bad part of your cycle, by the way, when you're healthy, your hormones are healthy. Every cycle, every part of your cycle actually has a gift in it. Um, And I feel it's almost like a superpower to be honest, Mm. being intimately acquainted with your cycle, knowing where you are in it, knowing which aspects of yourself are online and available for you to tap into at any point. And I'm sure this must sound very foreign and very weird to anyone who's not even started 
doing anything like this. And it would have sounded weird to me back in the day as well. But making peace with your physiology and actually turning it into a tool and not from a patriarchal productivity point of view necessarily, but just Mm. as a way of empowering you to really own your body and own your life. I just think it's a bloody gift. No pun intended. (laughs) I I wholeheartedly agree. And I I think to add, if you have control issues, I actually think that, um, knowing where you're at and how things change through your cycle, it feels like you have more control. I remember I used to be like just lost and confused as to why I was able to do certain things that I wanted to do in one part of my cycle with ease and then struggle in another part. And it felt like this constant battle. But I think that there's something empowering and I guess I guess empowering is more the word rather than in control of Mm -hmm. it's more it just feels like more of a partnership than something where you're trying to work against yourself Mm -hmm. and against your physiology and I think if you learn to embrace it and truly embrace it particularly the times when it's calling you to rest Mm -hmm. um, it really allows for you to just I don't know just feel more empowered and more grounded and more connected to your body and your cycles and I think it's something that really changed the way that I felt about my body and also it changed the way that I related to myself through those different seasons. Mm, so beautiful. Good luck. Um <laughs> and <laughs> come join us in you. the se- yeah. in the seasons. <laughs> and I think it's yeah, I think it's a really good thing to to do and just yeah, don't be afraid to start. And it's also okay if all of this is new, even if you're 35 and you're like oh my god what like I know nothing this is so embarrassing I don't even know when I ovulate mm-hmm. it's okay like we weren't taught I don't know about you but I've, mm-hmm. I've had zero conversations around any of this Mm-mm. the only reason I know what a follicular phase is and what a luteal phase is is literally because I studied it and mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. all and it is not beyond you you don't have to have a degree to understand your mm-hmm. cycle it's just something like anything that if you don't know about it yet, you have mm-hmm. to do some learning and mm-hmm. learn from people who you don't feel afraid to ask quote unquote stupid questions to because there is no such thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no age at which you pass where you should know this. Mm-hmm. You can't unless you've been taught. So it's never too late. And I think it's really empowering. And on that note, we will see you all next week. And just a quick reminder that there is still time to join us in the Holistic Health Collective community. We are starting another challenge really soon and we can't wait to dive into it. Some really great questions coming through there and loving having you, some of you with us. And also, if you are someone who has any hormonal issues or have a fertility goal, make sure you check out both Amy's and my websites. We both have various products and services and programs that you can dive into to work on any of those goals if that's something that's on your radar Mm -hmm. all right guys we'll see you next week bye for now